Today we're going to talk about a little different realm. We're going to talk about the realm of the spirit. The spirit world is something that uh, occasionally catches our attention. Often um, it will be the negative side of the spiritual world, particularly in our day and age with movies. Uh, it tends to glorify that side of it. But the Bible treats the spirit world as very real. And here we have a picture, of course, of the angels uh, talking to the shepherds. And uh, what you find in the biblical account is that we very quickly run into the spirit world with the historical accounts of Jesus' birth. As they are recorded, we find a number of expressions that show up this way. And this creates both an atmosphere of worship and or skepticism depending on which camp you're in. If you're in the uh, skeptics camp, uh, a red flag start to wave immediately, right? You're thinking a number of different things. There's no such thing as the spirit world. This is nothing more than a common superstition of ancient people who didn't have the benefit of science. And so they were easily fooled and duped. Matthew and Luke weren't even there. How would they know an angel really appeared to Mary or not? Right? It was not like they were best friends or anything. They weren't even on the scene. How do we even know that part of the story is accurate? Nice sci-fi, earlier precursor to Star Trek. But just like Trekkies know, fun, but not real. Even if they treat it real and go to Star Trek conventions and dress up as their favorite character, uh, it's a lot of fun, but they also know it's not real. Now, a couple people might take it to where they live like it and think it's real, but everybody else knows it's not real. And so many go, well, that's the same with the Christmas story. But the reaction, if you're on the faith side, if you're on the faith side of the equation, the faith worship spectrum is immensely different. You cannot read these stories without a spirit of awe, a spirit of fear, a spirit of belief, a spirit of worship, and another quality that I think is immensely important uh, during this holiday season, joy. Right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let's look at the accounts again. The first appearance uh, of an angel is with Zechariah. We find Zechariah uh, in the temple uh, offering incense when an angel appears to him. And the account reads like this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division Abja. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while, they were, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Uh, I want to do a little insert here in this story because we glitch right past this. But when Israel went into the exile, uh, lots of stuff got messed up. And so when they came back out and they... Uh, came back with Nehemiah and Ezra into the uh, promised land again and rebuilt Jerusalem, they reordered the priestly divisions. And as they did that, every priest would get to go in, usually once or twice a lifetime. 
in your service. So you could serve from 20 to 50 as a priest. And in that time frame then, because of the number of other priests there were, when it was drawn by lot, you might get to go into the temple and serve incense once or twice in your lifetime. Which means this is a high point for Zechariah. This is his big moment. This, as you say, the people are outside praying. There's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. He's the guy that gets to walk up and go behind the curtain and offer incense. And it's his big moment, right? So when it says he's troubled, you can understand why. Because he's like, what is this angel doing interrupting my big moment? This is not the way it's supposed to go. This is not following the script. This is supposed to go where I come out and everybody goes, Zechariah, what a cool dude you are. And this is messing with my big moment. All right? Any of us realize that life does not go according to the script? Anybody relate to that? Okay, that's what's happening here. And it's really uh, throwing them off. So when he says troubled, you can understand that. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Insert number two. It was, uh, uh, for a woman in Israel, a terrible thing if you were barren, simply because that took away the possibility that you might be the mother of the Messiah. For thousands of years, this had come walking down the lane. You might be the one that is the mother of the Messiah. And so if you were barren, that option was taken off the table. All right? And Elizabeth and Zechariah are both old. That hope is long gone and gone for good. All right? And so this plays into it right here as well. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When his time and service was ended, he went into his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach from the people. So a couple things here. Number one, like we mentioned, it's a significant, was a significant moment in Zechariah's life. It was a significant sorrow to them that they were barren and were not able to have children. It was a significant intrusion by Gabriel into the moment. Uh, Zechariah did not expect it. Neither did Elizabeth expect it. You say, in the story, you notice she kept herself hidden for five months. 
that, uh, ladies, you'd be familiar with this. An older woman having a pregnancy, the odds of a miscarriage are very good. And so she didn't want to get false hope. She didn't want to, oh, yeah, I'm pregnant. Oh, no, I lost the baby, right? She hid for five months to make sure that she could actually carry the baby. And we find out that this angel has a name. His name is Gabriel, the one who stands in the presence of God. We're going to look at that in just a little bit. But later on, when John was born, here's what we hear. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, just as the angel had said. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said, But none of your relatives are called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So we find the baby was born as predicted. The baby was named as predicted. And the country was a buzz. The neighbors, the small towns were talking. Did you see what happened? Can you believe that? What do you, what do you think God's up to? What do you think he's going to do? More is going on in this sequence. About three months before John was born, we find that Gabriel comes. I'm sorry, I didn't advance the slide here. We find that Gabriel comes and speaks to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And she came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? It's a good question, right? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Note a couple things here. Same kind of greeting, right? Angel Gabriel greeted uh, Mary pretty much the same way he greeted Zechariah. Note a very different response. One's a lack of faith. One's full of faith. One believes God can. One says, I'm looking at the human circumstances. is isn't going to happen. 
And Gabriel says something, I think, really important here that we need to remember. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. If you would have asked Zechariah and Elizabeth, was it possible for them to have a child? They would have told you no. You asked Mary, was it possible for her to have a child? She would have said, no, I'm not Mary. There are many things that seem very impossible in our day and age. And I think we should heed Gabriel's words. Nothing's impossible. The other thing I think is worth noting here, Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. Did you know that? They're cousins. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. That makes Jesus and John the Baptist relatives. Well, that isn't the end of Gabriel. Then an angel comes and speaks to Joseph. Uh, It was nice of God to let Joseph in on this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, we would say engaged. That would be our language. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Notice again, we have a prediction. Notice again, we have a positive response. Uh, Joseph, beyond the odds, actually accepts the verdict and says, I will take this as from the Lord. Have you ever had to take something as from the Lord when it wasn't positive for you? Right? We're talking about he finds out his wife's pregnant. They are now going to be astigmatized. You can pick this up in the Gospel of John. Uh, if you read from chapters like 7 to chapter 12, uh, they said, hey, we're not uh, born of fornication. Uh, we're not bastard children. That's what they're really saying to Jesus. What are they saying? We know your background, dude. We know your turf. We know where you came from. And Joseph's not really your dad. Joseph was willing to take all of that because he believed God. And notice again, the spirit world is involved. Now, it doesn't name Gabriel in this account. Uh, most Bible scholars assume it's Gabriel because he's the one that has been on these different missions. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be. But the question arises, who is Gabriel? Who is this angel? The first place he appears is not here in the New Testament, but actually in the Old Testament out of the book of Daniel. <clears throat> Here's a picture of, of Daniel as an older guy. And in, in chapter 8, it says, it's re, Daniel's uh, writing this down. It says, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, and had sought a vision from God along the Uli Canal, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called Gabriel, Make this man understand the vision. 
And so he came near to where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And if you go another chapter uh, later, chapter 9, Daniel again has another dream. He says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. By the way, one of the most powerful prayers in all of the Bible is Daniel's prayer for his own sin and the sin of his people. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to go look it up sometime and read it. It's a powerful prayer. But he says, I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. And while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And so Daniel in the Old Testament, while they were in exile in Babylon, has these interactions out along a canal with the angel Gabriel. And he's having a conversation, and Gabriel's making him be aware. And the question is, who is Gabriel? Well, if you look up, in Unger's Bible Dictionary, uh, it, the Hebrew is Gabriel, which means God is my strength, or man or hero of God. That's a cool name, right? Man or hero of God. He is one who... Uh, here we go. He is one who stands in the presence of God. So there's a reason why when he shows up, people are a little taken back, Right? Because they can tell the Shekinah glory of God is on Gabriel and they can tell that this is not just a normal person talking to them. The rabbinical writings said that Gabriel um, was one who stands in front of the divine throne near the standard of Judah. And so we find in the book of Daniel that um, there's Gabriel and then we also find another archangel named Michael. Right? And he's pretty famous as well. And, uh, and so these are two of the angels that we actually have names for. But there are uh, thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands of angels. If you look in the book of Revelation, you'll see that. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, the angels are called ministering flames of fire. And so often they are perceived as uh, having fire about them or fire in them or fire through them or the best way the writers could say, this is kind of where human language fails. They, they're trying to tell you it's sort of like this, but we can't really tell you what this is, right? This is kind of like that, but it's a person, but they're on fire, but they're not burning up, but they glow, but uh, uh, that's the best I can do for you, right? The language kind of just falls off the shelf. They can't really get there. And here's the point that I think is important for this morning. We talk about the realm of heaven. Most of the time, most of us don't have a problem with thinking that's real. When we talk about the realm of earth, obviously, that's very real. When we talk about the realm of the spirit world, eh, really? Are, are you serious? And the Bible informs us that the spirit world is every bit as real if not more real than the world we live in. 
In other words, we think we're primary and the spirit world, if there really is one, is kind of auxiliary out there somewhere where the Bible tells us that the spirit world is actually primary and we're the auxiliary out there somewhere, right? And so we often think of the spirit world intruding on us when in actuality we are moving towards the spirit world. When you die, your spirit will be taken up to the Lord and to heaven and that will be the reality, not this. God will remake all this, but it will be done in the Spirit. All right. Well, if you're a British person, you would say of these accounts, oh, it all seems a bit much. Right? So what are we saying this morning? Well, if it seems a bit much... It's because what was happening was a bit much. God was interjecting himself into our reality. He was engaging with it. He was entering. We, I call Jesus God on our turf. God playing by our rules. Right? You think of a game of Monopoly or a game of Risk or anything. that God came down on our turf and played by our rules. He entered in. He became one of us so that he could be known. And if talk of the spirit world seems odd or weird to us, just remember that Jesus himself claimed to be supernatural and from this very spirit world. The Bible says that Jesus was man, fully man, but also fully God. They call it the hypostatic union, fancy word for and both. Okay? Both of those realities and entities held in one, seamless, both one, God-man, man-God, tied together, woven together, inseparable, and will be for all eternity. This is no ordinary story. These are no ordinary circumstances. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the birth of Jesus the Savior of the world, the fulfillment of one of the most ancient of prophecies. We're going to, if you want to come back tonight, either at 5 or 7, we have the realm of the spirit world this morning, but tonight we'll be talking about the realm of the Savior and we'll be looking at uh, the prophecies that uh, Jesus fulfilled and how he fulfilled the role of Savior. And uh, we'll tie that together with this morning. But he's the Savior of the world and the fulfillment of, of those prophecies that we're talking about. He's the coming of the long-awaited and prophesied Messiah, of who the Bible says, if we place our faith in him, that we will be saved. I find that placing faith in him is kind of a mental exercise for us as Americans. Do you believe in this? Yes. If you ask most people, do I believe, do you believe in God, what would they say? Yes, right? I find a much deeper question or a a much more helpful question is, do you trust him? See, trust comes on a different level. That's what believing in him is supposed to mean. But trust is a deeper level of saying, I actually follow his lead. I've settled the authority issue. And I know there can't be two gods. It can't be me and Jesus on the throne. One of us has got to get off and abdicate. 
And by looking at his claims, I choose to step off my throne and let him have the throne of my life. So come tonight and join us, either five or seven. We'll look at this realm of the Savior. Would you join me in prayer? Fathers, we've come this morning and we've looked at these different stories and claims. Um, I remember a time in my life, uh, actually quite a long period of time, when these were stories, when these were nice ideas. This was, you went to church and looked holy and then you lived the rest of the week unholy. And uh, Lord, I remember when the reality of this started to break through. And like Zechariah, I remember being terrified. I remember being thinking in my head, this can't be actually happening. This can't be real. And yet it was. And I remember being found by you, won over by you. I remember being um, redeemed by you. And I remember thinking, it's not just a story. May that reality be present among us today. And if there's any who have a searching or a doubtful heart, Lord, I pray for them that you will draw close to them the same way you drew close to me. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be honored by our worship today. And as families, as we gather, may there just be enormous thankfulness to you for all that we have because we know you've given it. And we pray this in your name. Amen.